you guys so much for joining me here once again. I hope you're having a great week. I hope you're having a great day. I hope you're having a great life. I hope this year has been great for you. I hope that uh, you're getting everything you've ever wanted in your whole life. And I appreciate you being here. Uh, thank you for watching. If you're listening to this, thank you for listening as well. Um, I am very excited about today's episode. I got to sit down with one of my best friends, a guy that I, I pretty much literally have watched his entire career from start to now. Uh, he is a stand-up comedian. He is an incredible actor. He's a character actor. He's a uh, producer. He's the owner and um, I guess head person, I don't know his title, at the Laughing Viking Studios that are in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, and this is actually where we filmed the interview. If you know him, uh, you probably love him. If you don't know him, you're probably about to love him. He's appeared on countless television shows. He's been in movies. He has appeared all across Canada in uh, performing stand-up comedy. He's done live theater. He's, um, and he used to be an insurance salesman, which absolutely means nothing, but that's what he did. And then he realized that sucks and he wanted to be a stand-up comedian. So he literally kind of quit his job and got into stand-up comedy. Him and I worked on a TV show in London, Ontario several years ago. And uh, when I started this uh, podcast, he was one of the first people I wanted to have on. He might have actually been the first interview we did um, ever because we did uh, a few, you know, quite a while ago. And um, yeah, I think he was the first one. And uh, you guys are absolutely going to love this gentleman. He is one of my favorite people. He is a fantastic comedian. And uh, please, uh, please enjoy Lars Classington. This is history. Mm. Thank you for having me. No problem, man. Thanks for being here. Lars Classington, obviously an actor, comedian, all of that stuff, but not your real name. Lars True. Classington Correct. is not your real name. Correct. Your real name is Joe Larson. Joseph uh, Frederick Joseph Larson. Frederick Why'd you Larson? laugh at my real name? Because, first of all, I think just Frederick is a funny... I just find Frederick funny. I'm don't you? I'm thinking of going to Joey Freddy, I think, is what I want to switch to. Joey, Joey Freddy. Joey Freddy? Are I'm you joking. Okay? You right? Oh, my God. <coughs> See, I think that's a sign Joey. that Joey Freddy Joey isn't Freddy. a good idea. No, I want to be Joey Freddy, a crooner. Like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, up next to the lounge, it's Joey Freddy. And I come out, I'm like, hey, I'm Joey Freddy. No? No, no. Huh? Lars Fitz. Okay. Like, when I met you... I met you as Lars Classington right. and thought that was your real name. Right. I had just met you as Lars, I think, and thought, yeah, you're right. clearly a Lars, and then found out later your name is Joe. And you were very disappointed and angry and dis um, distrustful of yeah, me. Yeah, I was very I, I was very disappointed. I wasn't angry, but I was very disappointed your name wasn't Lars, but you fit Lars more than Joe. It's I not think, a secret. Right? It's not like a secret identity. No, no, no. For the Stage record. name, right? Yeah, yeah. Lars Classington. Yeah, yeah. But... First of all, I want to know a little bit about Joe. Tell me oh, about uh, tell me about Joe. Uh, Joe was born in Aurelia, Ontario. Okay, real clean cut kid, country boy. Yeah, uh, actually, I wasn't born in Aurelia, Ontario. Well, I was. The hospital was Soldiers Memorial Hospital in uh, Aurelia, Ontario. Also home to uh, Stephen Leacock, Brian Orser, and Gordon Lightfoot. Really. Yeah. Okay. Nice. And I would company. say I'm the perfect uh, combination of those three. Yeah. Stephen Leacock, a comedy writer. Mm. Um, Gordon Lightfoot, a singer songwriter, and yeah. uh, Brian Orser, a successful figure skater. Uh, yeah. With Grace and. Uh, yeah, that's what I think about when I think about <laughs> Lars Classington. I put all three of those together yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, the name Lars Classington. Right. Obviously, your last name Larson. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, but I love the story of how you got the name. Lars Classington. Right. How did I get it? Well, first of all, you went to university in right. London, right? Right. <clears throat> so I went to Western. You went to Western to yeah. take, which Kines I also find funny. Kinesiology. Kinesiology. Which right? I really, at the time, I was like, I don't know. I like sports. I'm good at science. Right. I heard there's seven girls to one guys at Western. Uh, my really? buddies were going there. That was always like the urban myth, and that was a party school. So okay. in my head, I was just like, 
I'm just going to spring. That was break. how you chose the school. Yeah, those are my three factors. I didn't. I mean, I'm. Well, how old are you? I'm 18, 19. I didn't know. Yeah. I was. Here's my curse. I'm pretty good at everything. So I was like straight A student. It wasn't an obvious choice. I was good at like every subject that I tried at, and I tried at most of them because I don't know. You're supposed to. I, don't, so, I guess. Yeah. So when That's what I got high school, I was like, saw the guidance counselor, and I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm good at like sports. I like sport. It was basically I like sports. I'm interested in science. I heard there's seven girls to one guy at Western. Right. And my two best friends are want to go to Western as well. So done deal. Of course. Right. Yeah. And your two best friends and I think more people lived in a house, mm -hmm. right? At some point you got a house. Yeah. Yeah. Classic off campus, uh, like debauchery house. Right. And you, um, you were a ladies' man, pretty much. Like you were good with girls. There, there's pictures I've seen where you look like one of the Backstreet Boys. Right. Right. At, I was. At that time. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I had frosted tips. Yeah. I had uh, little hoop earrings. I knew yeah. how. I knew how to wear a, a shiny dress shirt to the oh, bar. Yeah. I looked like, I looked like at the time. Yeah, it was. I looked like a Backstreet Boy slash, um, like. What's the, what's the movie? What's Will Ferrell's movie? Uh, Baby, don't hurt Roxbury? me. Yeah, the Roxbury. Roxbury. I was yeah. like a night at the Roxbury guy. Right, right. And so you you are uh, you know bringing home some girls, right? Uh, I mean, uh, time after time. Not, I don't know about time after. Hey, hey. The story hey, I heard was I feel, night after night. Don't paint night. me as toxic masculinity Not type now. guy. It wasn't night this isn't after you today. Right. This isn't right. this isn't current day. Well, then for the record, it wasn't always. I wouldn't bring this them home. This is Joe Larson we're talking about. It would be right. More, would be, this isn't Lars Classen here that true. we're talking about. We're talking about Joe sense. Larson. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Yeah, it was Richmond. Who's dead? I think was, Joe Larson is dead, right? Can we can we all agree? I mean, in most, yeah, that Joe Larson I mean, it's died still inside on, day, on. on days. Where you I'm, have not been a Joe. I've known you now over ten years. Thank you. Never have I seen a Joe. Wow. Not one time. Wow. No offense to any Joe out there either, right. but right. you're not a Joe. You're Lars. It's funny you're saying all this right at the time where I'm like, should I go from The Rock back to Dwayne Johnson? No. Like, <laughs> no. Okay. Not all right. at all, man. <laughs> Lars Classington, why are you even thinking about that? Why Why would you even I don't know, think to just change that? I'm like, what's my real truth? Like, but is my real name my real truth? Like, no. I don't, what does that is mean? Is Lars Classington not more true to you than Joe Larson? <laughs> I don't know. I'm so. Confused. Do you even? I'm curious. Seriously, do you even respond if somebody says Joe? If if you were in a crowded place and somebody right. went Joe, would you even flinch? <laughs> uh, I mean, it would be a, a probably be a small flinch, but I would never be expecting it. It's only like university and pre people or like a doctor's office where someone's using my legal name. Right. Right. You know. But if you're in public. And you don't yeah, know who I would never be is being yelled be at. Unless, you wouldn't unless turn I was at my yes. hometown. No, right. I wouldn't. Exactly. So that's not your truth anymore. Right. right but if right. you heard Lars, right. immediately you would you yeah, would yeah. turn and be like, "Yeah, so it's what, obviously me." What was the question? The, uh, sorry, we're 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 getting to how you got the name, which is oh, you, yeah. you were you yeah, were yeah. living in this house. So it was Richmond Row. Let, let's give you some context here. Yeah. It was university, and for me, Western was a party drinking school. So it was basically like seven girls to one guy. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I mean, it was almost. I mean, it could have been every day of the week if you wanted to, as far as going out. Um, sure. It was like classic, like pre-drink. Cabs here, cabs here. We all roll in a cab, then we go downtown, and you just would drink till two a.m. until you're like blackout drunk, and then you get, of course. and then you'd go home with a girl one night, and or a girl would come home with you another night. And, right. And now, now and, you and, had and, a good and, string, and though. your buddies. I did all right. Yeah, yeah. Nothing but the, crazy. But the like time nothing you crazy. Got the name, the Lars Classington, was somebody. One of the uh, roommates you right. came up with a girl like night four or something, and they they said, uh, "Look at you." Classy Lars Classy. Yeah, I think, right? in, I think in this case, it was like, and we are way over glorifying this right now because it's usually called the walk of shame the next day. But um, of course, I mean, I wasn't feeling shame. I was feeling like, oh, I had a crazy night last night. I had the best time with a. Yeah. With a, a beautiful woman who I danced the night away at and woke up the next you day. You danced the night away at? You dance at with. women? <laughs> yeah. How does that work? Do, you really do, were night at the rocks. The women her. stand there and I dance at them. <laughs> I just dance. How you like this? I'm dancing. It's coming at you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, th I feel like on this particular thing, I came home and, 
and I would kind of get clapped in. Again, very like very frat boyish, immature, immaturish, but classic stuff. Again, we're talking about um, Joe Larson, right, and we're yeah, talking right, about in right. university. But we're also talking the birth of Lars Classington, so there's yeah. some blurred lines there. But so. hey, we all change from birth, right? So I come home wearing bar shirts, so I'm wearing like jeans and like oh, still got my frosted tips, and but, but looking a little more disheveled. Uh, and then and then my buddies would like clap me in on a Sunday morning. Right. And my one buddy would be he'd look at me and he'd be like, "Ooh, look at you, Lars Classington." And he was he was used in a tone of like Ron Burgundy or like um, what's his name Hefner. What's his Hugh Hefner? Hugh Hefner. Yeah, it was kind of it was like an extra persona. It was like a ladies' man persona that was like classy thrust Lars upon me. Yeah. Right. Right, classy Lars Classington, and that's the birth. I do keep it classy, and and then so that was the birth of of uh, Lars Classington. Lars started because your last name was Larson, Larson. and you look like right. a, like a look like a Lars, pretty much, right. right? That's how you got the name Lars Classington. Mm-hmm. But after university, Joe Larson, still Joe Larson, mm-hmm. uh, what career path? Did you go in uh, after university? Well, the uh, classic comedian entertainer career path of insurance sales right. is what uh, right. <laughs> I went into. But at this point, you are not doing, you're not acting, you're not doing stand-up. No, I wasn't you're doing, not doing any, any, of, any of, that. of that. I wasn't doing kinesiology either. So I, right. I finished university. Graduate with a degree. With an honors degree in kinesiology, in kinesiology, 85%. And the original intention was when I finish. I can do medicine, I can do chiro, I can do physio, maybe I even be a gym teacher, who knows. Right. Um, but I got interested in business, and I also got, I think I read a Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, uh, book or something, so I kind of got interested in finances and money and stuff. And one of the things he said in that book was learn sales, and then I had an opportunity to work in sales with a financial services company, an insurance company, um, meeting with clients, sitting down with families, talking about their uh financial future needs and signing them up for insurance packages right that's what I did in the year I like in the year off I decided okay I'm I wasn't sure what I wanted to do basically I graduated I'm like okay I graduated but what the fuck does that mean like what do I really want to do am I going to spend four years in med school am I going to do Cairo I thought about naturopathic medicine as well because that was like seemed the it was like a trend or something right um but then I just decided to take the year off completely. I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to live a year of life. And then in that year, I decided to get a job just doing not a non-student job because I had worked like bar jobs and I worked at a beach volleyball place in, in university. So I was doing like fun student jobs. But I was like, I'm going to go to a professional job and make some real money. Right. And then I did that for, I ended up doing that for like nine years, 10 years. Insurance. Yeah. Selling well, insurance. Well I, well, I I worked hard, so I got good at it. And then I ended up being promoted and I trained other people. And then I moved to Alaska to do it. Which is yeah. another thing, which is crazy. So now you're, now you're getting successful, making a shitload of money. I mean, right? for a bachelor, um, not a shitload. I, I don't think I ever made less than 75 grand, but I was 23 at the time. So. Right. So like crazy right. money I made for like that 75 age. to 90. I remember never like I, there was never a time where I would like be wondering in my head, do I have enough money to pay for this swipe at this store? Like that, right. that level. Right. Kind of thing. So you work your way up and then you they want you to run your own office. Right. right? Where you go to Alaska right. to do this. Your choice? They gave me a short list of small market U.S. countries. I'm, du- I'm dual citizen or small market U.S. cities. I'm dual citizen with the states through my mom. Uh, and so it was like Boise, Idaho, Butte, Montana, Fargo, North Dakota, and then Anchorage, Alaska. So in my head, I'm like, uh, if I'm going to go to buttfuck nowhere, I'm going to go to real buttfuck nowhere. And Anchorage also seemed like an adventure to me. Like it seemed cool. Right. So I packed up all my stuff in the back of a, a Hyundai Elantra and drove nine, nine days from London, Ontario to Anchorage, Alaska. It was the, the whole trip. But I stopped for a week in Winnipeg for corporate like management training. And okay. my brother met me in Calgary and drove the last four days through the Arctic Wow. Yeah. So you get there to run your own, so, it's yeah, your office. I had, I had, this is actually crazy that we're even talking about this compared to my current life. But um, 
they had leased an office space for me. I had rented an apartment kind of sight unseen right. and I was arriving like, like a troop, how did you find the apartment troop being deployed? I fucking Googled on the internet, like okay. Anchorage, Alaska apartments. And like, okay. they had like, so it wasn't at shit. the time where you found it in like a newspaper. No, it wasn't like sight unseen. No, this okay. was 2002, 2002. So I graduated 2001 and in 2002 went to Alaska for three years. Wow. 2002, 2005. So you're there for you're there for three years. You're leading. I'm, you're the leader. I'm, I'm the I'm right? the leader. I'm technically I was running the state of Alaska for a Fortune 500 life insurance company. Uh, right. So which was amazing because anytime that there was, corp- but you're the manager. I'm the man. You're the leader. Manager. You're the guy. Yeah, yeah. And and we I'm do hiring, have video I'm of this. Interviewing. So for video people. I want you to look at this guy. That guy was running an insurance office, except it wasn't this guy. Right. It was. I was in a suit. Let's show a picture of Joe Larson. It was this guy. That's it's this guy. Yeah. 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 I was hiring, um, like doing, literally doing the interviews. One man show at the beginning. I was doing the interviews. People coming in looking for jobs. Right. Then I would have to hire them if they were uh, appropriate. Then I would. What was your interview like? What? What? I, I can't even imagine you interviewing somebody without. Without right. it turning into like a well, party or the something. The company uses no, it definitely wasn't a party. It was um, it was like scripted, scripted like not scripted verbatim, but like bullet points. Like these are the there was protocol for everything. How serious so that, were you? Pretty serious. Give me, so give me like, like um, just pretend you're playing the character and um, I'm coming in and I'm I want a job. How so how would you like, done it? Uh, so Jeff, just to be straight up with you, people who su- succeed here work really really hard like this is not a job that you can do part-time you need to be able to commit to this so uh, uh on a scale of one to ten really what are you looking to commit to wow it was fucking it four was pretty serious. what if somebody no. said four i'd be that would end i would legit end the interview right then or i would at least be feigning to to end it so that you would have to save it like yeah did you ever have to fire someone um People would normally let themselves go before they fired them. Like they would kind of fire themselves because they knew yeah. this just isn't mine. It was performance thing. based as well too. So it was like they weren't. If if you weren't selling, you weren't getting paid. So if you were, right. which usually comes down to a numbers game for most people who are failing sales. If, assuming you have a decent product that you believe in and you have a work ethic, normally like it, it works out. Like people, the sales companies have systems, but people would just not be interested or not care or not learn it or be lazy or whatever. And then they just, I'm not making money. So they would just quit. So you never had to call anybody. In no, no, I wasn't like you're fired. No, out. no, no. It was actually, it was quite the opposite. It was usually me trying to motivate and pump people up because they weren't having success. And I'm trying to give them like motivational speeches and sales speeches and like, well, like what's going on. Let's look at your schedule. Let's look at your, systems and processes like literally sitting down recording their um their presentation and going like verbatim through their presentation tweaking things telling trying to figure out like are you being a weird human being with people like sales is about connecting with people and and having a good time and them trusting you so if you're doing like weird things like it was very there's a science to it and an art to it right it's it's a lot like stand-up actually sales I think so. Yeah, I would yeah, agree. Yeah. I think there's there's a lot of similarities. I think you can use, you can definitely use sales in comedy, and you can most certainly use comedy in sales. The, so they really go hand in hand. The biggest thing that I took from the sales thing is just rejection. Like hearing, hearing it was, it was. I worked for ten years in a company where I only got paid on results. I've never, as an adult, had a salary, so I only get results. Like that was it. So you don't sell something, you don't get paid, which is very similar to freelance nature of stand up and acting. It's like if you don't book a gig, you don't get paid. So, and tons of people say no to you. So I, I feel like I was prepped for it. And you're 23 years old, leading this office. Oh yeah. Did you have anybody that you hired that resented how? young you were i don't know if they resented it i feel like they might have been surprised i don't think they resented it because i would think i was pretty professional and very helpful like maybe people have thought might have thought they could run it better but i was and they all call you joe right right like if somebody right. there was like who is your manager joe sir boss sir did they call you sir sir of course 
No, no joking. you didn't make them call you yeah, sir. No, no. no they but they knew Joe. you as Joe. Right? Were you funny? Yeah. Um, were you fun? I was or funny. No, I, not in, at the in, office. In my, in retrospect, I would have been more successful had I been. I kind of put on a corporate act of like, got to be like uh, formal and and um, integrity and like professional and. But I think that I was I didn't connect with employees and people enough because of that like I kept it too formal I think most people that I worked with would be like I can't believe that you're this guy and you were this guy yeah like that's what, what? I was gonna ask so the people yeah, yeah, that yeah. work for you yeah, they to, would to get to that have yeah, yeah. The, has any of them reached out to you from Alaska like not not from Alaska but that you worked with going I can't believe you're doing comedy or there's been or, people from the company message me and like well wishes and stuff no nobody that's been like blown away by that but no one from Alaska because I don't know that they would know how to connect with me at the end of your day in Alaska like when you're done and you go home are you do you get to be Lars then or where are you like are you going home uh, yes, prepping for yes, the next day yes. okay that was in yeah that's actually a good question because I, when I was in Alaska, because I was so isolated, all my friends were back in Ontario here. So it was the birth, this was 2002, 2005, which is pre-YouTube at the time, or like just early YouTube, but pre-Facebook, pre-social media. So I bought a webcam and I started making stupid videos. I remember seeing Dane Cook was just starting to blow up there, but that was because he was doing, like his videos were going viral of him doing stand-up and... He was on MySpace and all this shit. So it was like I was starting to see people doing things online. Right. So I bought a webcam and was made like funny dance videos. I have a crazy hamster dance, hamster dance video. Like before I did stand up, the videos on YouTube of me are just me. Literally, there's one of me in the office doing a ridiculous dance to the hamster dance that had like at the time like 5,000 views. The hamster dance. The hamster dance that yeah. you created this? No, it's like a song. Oh, it's it was like a, a dance song. Oh, okay, five thousand views. Was that five thousand right. views you got? Yeah, I mean it was just a stupid video, but I think the the original thing was like, what what where was the transition from? Like I, when I went home, you asked me when I went home at night, who was I, Joe or was I yeah, Lars? Yeah, did you get to be Joe um, or Lars? Yeah. Well, I'd usually go home and I'd make stupid videos. Uh, so, yeah, it was Lars. I would go home and I'd make silly internet videos. One was just me with a rubber band ball. And it was like, rubber band ball, rubber band ball, rubber band ball, rubber, rubber, rubber band ball, rubber band. And it was just me, like, ridiculously, kind of in the vein of, like, Tom, some stupid Tom Green video, which is hilarious. But right. just me repeat, fucking around with a rubber band. And, just, and then I would just send them back to my buddies and get kicks out of like being the funny guy with my buddies. So it was like the birth of the inkling of like, hmm, I want to do this kind of stuff. This episode of Lease and Learned is sponsored by the Big Fish Steak and Lounge in Sarnia, Ontario. One of my personal favorite restaurants in in the world i was gonna say in the country but no in the world they have some of the greatest food i have ever had every single time i eat there i think to myself it will never get better than what i have just eaten and the next time i go back they top it once again it's that good if you live in the sarnia area make sure you book your reservation for lunch or dinner or hell book your reservation for both right now do it tonight what are you gonna cook for dinner tonight probably something awful don't do that head on over to the big fish steak and lounge if you don't live in sarnia i suggest you make a trip down just for the food or if you're going to be in the area stop in and have one of the greatest meals you will ever have this episode is also sponsored by the car lot etc in sudbury ontario where they make buying your next vehicle very very easy let's say you go online you find a vehicle that you want to test drive but you can't quite make it in no problem at all they will bring the vehicle to you so you can take that test drive right from your own home they do have the largest used truck inventory in the north they also have the best selection of cars suvs and vans if you're like me and your credit is let's say not great that's no problem they do have options for everyone. You can also trade in your vehicle. They offer the best trade-in value in the North. 
So head on over to the website, thecarlot.ca, and book a test drive right now. This episode is also sponsored by MVP Properties. For all of your property management needs in southwestern Ontario and the GTA, big or small, these folks do it all. From helping you find great renters for an investment property to large-scale property management, MVP Properties is a complete solution property management provider based out of the Kitchener-Waterloo area. Problems with your current property manager? No problem. Give them a call. They'll be happy to give you great service at a reasonable rate. Visit mvpproperties.ca or call toll-free 1-844-284-RENT. That's 1-844-284-7368 or locally at 226-499-4687. This episode is also sponsored by Laughing Viking Studios in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Laughing Vikings is a digital media studio and live entertainment production company turning delusions into reality. Located in the heart of Toronto's TV and film district, the studio is the ideal home for creators, actors, podcasters, photographers, and filmmakers who need a convenient and flexible space to create. Book your studio time for self-tapes, podcasting, film shoots, photo shoots, casting sessions, workshops, and rehearsals, and ask about their memberships. Visit laughingvikings.com today. Are we back on the podcast? (laughs) We're back with (laughs) Lars Classington. So you're... uh, you're in Alaska, 23 to 26. You're there for three years? Yeah, it's 2002 to 2005. So I okay. was uh, 20 through 24 to 27. 24 to 27. Um, and then you moved back to Ontario. Yes, I drove back to Ottawa. And I lived in Ottawa for six months. And then the original office that I started in in London needed a manager to help run it. Uh, so I moved back to, to London. Back to so London. Back to the scene of the original crimes. And to also uh, manage? Are you still managing? Yeah, yeah. Them? Yeah, I'm r- helping run an office. So on, on the daily or week, like a weekly schedule, is I'm um, in the mornings, I'm doing interviews, group interviews, like information sessions about the company and compensation and management track and benefits and all that kind of stuff. Then final interviews where I'm making the decision then running new training sessions, sales training, and then in the afternoon and evening, I'm out on field appointments in clients' homes at their kitchen tables with a new agent, like, shadowing me, and then eventually I'm shadowing them. So it was fucking, it was a lot of work. (laughs) It was like 60, it was like, it was addictive because it was performance paid, so the harder you worked, the better you got paid. So it was amazing for that. It was growth opportunity if you're hungry and savvy and, and, like, type a personality and go after that kind of stuff you do really well and i did but then it was also like the fuck really am i doing with my life right now so i stopped being motivated right yeah and so it's around this time when you start getting unmotivated right by that it would take like a quarterly sales manager meeting like someone would fly in from hq to like give me the real rah-rah and I'd see what he has and see his vision and he's done so well in the company and I would get re-motivated for like another two weeks and then I'd be like, yeah. Right. And so it's around this time that you uh, try stand-up for the first time? I answered an ad on Kijiji that said, so you think you're a comedian? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're unmotivated, you're doing this thing but making good money, you must be, you're managing and working all these hours. So you must be making like really good solid yeah. money when you're motivated. Yeah, yeah. But you're yeah, noticing yeah. this isn't really what I want to do. It wasn't fulfilling. Right. Um, it seemed like a grind. It seemed like the whole thing. Are you still and making the videos that you were making a, a in Alaska? Little, or? A little bit. I had just started. So in, in uh, September of 2009, following, I mentioned Dane Cook earlier, who I remember seeing his stuff. And that was like, oh, fuck, he's hilarious. And he's doing a lot on the internet. So that was kind of like the key to me starting to think about videos right but then it was john lejoie doing his like funny rap videos um so i was like oh that's interesting and i've always had a little bit of musicality in 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 me and my family and stuff uh 
my brothers are musicians, as you know. So I made two funny, like white rap, white idiot rap videos called "Sexy White Guy" was one of them, and the other one was "My Balls." My Balls, right? Right after that was like in my head, this is how, uh, this is how, um, what's the word? Like this is how cock, cocky or cocksure. Like when I started show business, I wasn't, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to dabble in this. I'm like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to become super famous. And I'm going to do like, I was like instantly like, so I started doing the YouTube videos and then I was like, well, if I'm, if I'm going to get famous on YouTube sooner or later, I'm going to need to know how to like perform live and be on stage so I better get on stage at like a comedy club in Yuck Yucks. Like in my head, I'm like, I need to have all this stuff. Interesting. I need to have these boxes checked. Because it was more my my instinct to get it. Like my reason to get into show business wasn't really stand up per se at the beginning. It was Saturday Night Live and Kids in the Hall and, uh, and Living Color and Mad TV. It was all sketch comedy that I was more so exposed to as a kid. And right. I, I sort of like knew of stand up, but I was I never saw it live when I was a kid. Um, so the, then, so there was the videos and at first in my head, I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to be a YouTube star like John Lajoie. This is going to be easy. And then it was, I stumbled upon that, uh, Kijiji ad and that was for an amateur night at Yuck Yucks. So I did the amateur night, but then I got hooked on, on stand up and just that electricity of live audience and live stage and just being high energy bull in a China shop. So then I just never stopped doing stand-up for the first like whatever three years i mean i've never stopped but when i met you uh, that's when i was like hooked on stand-up right yeah and so for a while you were still doing the insurance stuff during the day you right. were doing uh stand-up and writing and stuff at night barely i would so because so i stepped out of my management position in 2009 so that i wasn't responsible for anyone else because that what was also grinding at me is I was in a leadership position, which required me to be there to a to do interviews. I had other supervisors reporting me. I had like other admin staff that reported me. And when I hired someone new, if I didn't show up on a fucking Monday, they wouldn't get trained, which legit meant that they wouldn't make money. And I know in the back of my head that they're like trying to make a go at this new career. So I was like, I felt like guilt. There was a burden of taking care of other people. So I stepped out of that and was like, I don't want to be responsible for other people. Right. Um, cause I'm not, and part of that was cause I'm not fully into this. So I don't want to be the guy pumping you on. Like, this is the best career path for you. When in my head, I'm like one foot in one foot out. Um, but I worked because we worked commission, I could set my own schedule. So I only, I would work like a week out of the month, go fucking real hard, set a ton of appointments, make like a grand, two grand, three grand, four grand, five grand in, in a week, 10 days, two weeks. And then I would take two weeks off and just, shenanigans so that was the last like two years as i was transitioning i would work like a, a week or two out of the month and then the rest of the time just like living life kind of thing right and that's when you started really getting more right. into the stand-up that's when i started writing, doing stand-up the, how early on for you was uh london tonight which was a show that we did right. in london for a couple of years on local television um, how early on into your comedy thing was that? Insanely early on. Yeah. Like ridiculously early on. Like so ridiculous that when all of this happened, when like when I met you and that happened, I it was like it was ridiculous instant val validation for me that like I chose the right thing. Um, mind you, it was a local. It wasn't like where I was on a national TV thing, but I started stand up October two thousand nine. And met you, I think, that Christmas. But by February 2010, I was a, a writer, sidekick announcer, uh, sketches on a local late-night comedy talk show. That was on every night. That was on every night. Every night and made yeah. us local celebrities in London so that right. every fucking where we went out, people would recognize us. People were wearing the T-shirts with our names on them in London. We were sponsoring and hosting events. So... I went from like incognito Joe Larson insurance guy to fucking Lars Classington in like six months, which was 
which was amazing. And, and it was in one sense, it was validation that I'm going to do the like, I was like, oh, I was in the like, I'm in the right spot kind of thing. Because I wonder if I hadn't had that instant hook, would I have like, maybe I would have fallen back into the corporate world or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. So I have you to thank for that. So shout out to Jeff Leeson right now. So we met doing at writers meetings where yeah. I, we were writing monologue jokes. No, I sketch. originally met you. Right. Yeah, yeah. I met you. Okay, right. here's what's okay. You tell this. I saw you, you, you tell this at Yuck Yucks. Right. And you were this like insane ball of energy that you you came out uh, doing uh, booyah. I used Remember to that? just come out bullying a giant booyah. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, I would just whip yeah. the crowd into a frenzy, and I'd be yeah. like, yeah, booyah, boo. Like I don't know. Nothing. Like it was nothing really. Like there was nothing. Uh, it was my impression of a funny about at it, the time. like. Like where you could go where anybody else would get a laugh off of it. Right. It was the way you were doing it and the energy of it right. where you couldn't help but laugh. Stuff. It was this massive guy right. with long hair who was like, just seemed fucking insane. Right. Just seemed like insane, you <laughs> right. know? And that's why the fact so I that out. I found out that you sold insurance. Right. And you had this whole... Easy fella. Whole other life. Easy fella. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was so fascinating because the guy I saw originally was this guy who just came out and was like, right. I thought was just, was like just rattling tables person. with how loud you were in that mic. Right. Right? Like it right. was, it wasn't, I wasn't even on the show. I was just you in the like crowd. taking the back. Where I'm like, man, I I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. Right. You know, it was so. Right. It was like a, a hype man at yeah, a yeah, concert yeah. that yeah. they told to go do stand up, right. and he was doing what he knew first, and then got in. Because I don't even remember what you did. Right. I don't remember any right. joke. I, I don't remember a, any of the things. like later stuff. I just remember thinking like that guy is gonna be something because based on energy, right? Right. And right. so I knew you as Lars, and then we met right. at the. Uh, taping i think of the original show yeah, that yeah. had a different host on right. it uh which is where we originally which is met each hilarious. other hilarious so you were yeah. the f- on london tonight with jeff leeson how you became the host of london tonight with jeff leeson is you were the first guest on the very first episode which wasn't london tonight with jeff leeson it was london tonight with another guy yeah you were the first guest, and I was the pre-show warm-up stand-up guy. So I would come up, like, do this hype man. You were, I thought do you this. were uh, the, the comedy guest, no? You were no, the warm-up? I wasn't on the first show. You were the first guest. Oh, I was oh, a warm-up guy. Then by the second episode, you were the host, and I was the announcer. Right. But off-camera, I was just off-camera into the mic. And then, like, third show, I was on a mic, like Ed McMahon, Andy Richter. Right. And then we, we never looked back past then. But interesting side note, and I've only think about this now, but that that the the shit that I would do, like if you're comparing Joe Larson versus Lars Classington, or like Crazy Energy versus like Normal Guy, when I was not doing stand up, that's who I was when I would go out at night partying and drinking with my buddies. So I'd get like fucking super drunk, super rowdy, and just be life of the party, like up on right. tables, starting chants, starting... I remember you getting kicked out of a bar in London once for going on a picnic table. <laughs> that outside. was a, I got kicked out of fucking Barney's on Canada Day for getting up on the top of the picnic table and trying to start a fucking group O Canada right. with everybody. Right. And they, they were like, no, you can't stand on the fucking picnic tables. Like, it's fucking Canada today. Right. And I'm all the people love me right now. Like, we were like mid-Canada Day. And I'm like, you're hauling yeah. me out of here? So I love Barney's, but fuck you, Barney's, for that night. You were in the wrong that night, Barney's. Barney's is a beloved bar in London, if you've ever been there. Proudly not a sponsor of the show right. now. Either. No, they should be a sponsor. They should be a sponsor. Not they now. had They had to do what they had to do. I know that I had to be kicked out because it was a safety issue. But, I mean. Was it? You're fine. Sometimes you got to pick the cool moment over safety. Yeah, definitely. So, okay. So when you're doing the insurance, you're playing this guy at night. Right. Now, all of a sudden. That that was like, get out of my shell. And I got addicted to that. Right. But an interesting thing about when I started stand up, um, it's funny that I say this because we are drinking a rum and Coke right now, but that's because it's a Saturday afternoon and I haven't seen you in a while. But when I started doing stand up, uh, I made a conscious decision that I wouldn't, for the most part, like, 
drink before shows and stuff so that I wouldn't fall into the trap of having to be drunk or only being comfortable being drunk. Cause I'm like, if I want to do this at the max level, that means ultimately I should be wanting to do this every day. But if I need to be drunk every day to do that, that ends at a fucking like that doesn't end well. Right. So right. I kind of like stopped drinking, but my antidote to drinking and partying and having fun was I just did all the shit that I would do on the streets, blackout drunk on, on a stage sober. And it, it's the same. <laughs> it's the same. So I would just go on stage for like seven minutes and be like, <laughs> doing all this crazy character shit. And then that would be like, oh, that I flex that muscle and I don't have to be downtown being blackout drunk doing this tonight to to get that kick of being that guy. You know? Wow. Yeah, so yeah. that was your that So was in your a way, drug. in a little way, your... comedy like, I mean, not that I, I mean, I still drink and I still party, but I, I party weight like I was like, Western trained me like we were indoctrinated to be binge drinking blackout drunk from the time you left your dorm to the time like last call when you lined up shots like that was like that was culture for us like that was how you did your weekend like you were you, you went till you ran out of booze till you got kicked out till you ran out of money. And then hopefully ended up back at home or at residence. And then the next day you'd pick up the pieces and figure it out and connect the dots with your buddies and look at your receipts. And he'd be like, oh, fuck, man. No, you don't remember being at Wendy's? No, you're at Wendy's and you were fucking throwing like all these crazy stories would come back. But it was all fucking debauchery. (laughs) And yeah, it's crazy. Um, What I find very fascinating about you uh, in addition to a lot of this stuff, is when I met you, you owned a house. Yeah, yeah. You lived yeah. in the basement of that house and rented the rest of it. Yeah, right? I owned a triplex. And you uh, had just started doing stand-up, just started getting in entertainment. This is when I first met you. Right. And you eventually basically sold everything you had. Right, right. And followed this crazy dream of of entertainment like basically went all in which i don't think i've ever seen someone do before i don't think i've ever witnessed (laughs) right i went all in from 14 but at four you i've i've never had anything you know what i mean i've never really had anything where i had to like give it up right right you you had this whole life right uh that you had built up and all of these things that you had done and then realized, oh, fuck, I, I, I don't care about any of this. Right. I don't want any of this. This right. isn't even my life. I don't want to do any of this. Right. I want to go down this path and gave up everything. Like, or sold, you sold the house. You sold, you had a, a SUV, I think, yeah, right? Yeah. Sold yeah. that. Um, moved into. I uh, everything that, back. That, yeah, yeah. Did you move from the house to that wicked yeah. apartment downtown yeah. in London? I lucked out. Which with was the, the greatest place the probably ever. Yeah. Um, the Lars Loft. The Lars Loft, yeah, <sighs> which was insane. And the next time we have you on the show, we'll go we'll through all the things the that happened there. Um, but I, the, but what I wanted to talk about was uh, the the fact that you, you you know you sold everything, which is not right. that's like the the definition of all in that's 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 like i'm doing this 100 percent, right and a lot of people don't uh do that right were you when you were going through that did it just feel right or were you nervous were you scared what was the what was going through your mind as you're getting rid of everything it was a calculated ploy uh and i'll tell you the the full extent of it so I sort of realized, I don't, I can't remember if there, I don't know if I ever had an epiphany, epiphany moment, but a couple things were, I went to see, um, (laughs) this is going to sound crazy coming from me, giant white guy. Of course. But I went with uh, my buddy Al, we'd call him Big Al because he's small, or or Al Al the Bishop. Uh, Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, you know him. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So we went to see... Notorious, the Biggie story, which is about him on his rise, following his dream and all that stuff. And it was motivating. So I, we were driving home and I looked at Al and I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to quit my job and become a rap battler. 
which I didn't become a rap battler. Well, this was that was also. Were you being serious, or was that well, a joke? Well, not not in a rapper terms, but it was like I want to I want to do this stuff and very eight mile ish too. I think I watched Eight Mile and Notorious within like a week of each other. <laughs> okay. So for real. Yeah. So I wasn't gonna be a rap battler, but it was like that idea of like I needed to do this. I do remember certainly having the feeling of uh, when I started to do like when I made the first YouTube video and then went did stand up the first time I distinctly had the feelings of I need to take a crack at this or it's going to bug me for the rest of my life and I just didn't want to be one of those people who right. like dies on their deathbed and they're like oh I wish I had tried this one thing that I thought of forever of doing and never did it so right. that was part of it um, a little bit of it for sure was my brother I have an old I'm youngest of three but my middle brother James died when he was 33 uh, he was living in New York City. He's a musician. He was a producer. He was an agent, right. doing really well at the thing that he loved, and got, he was diagnosed with cancer at, at 32 or 33, and and died doing what he loved, but never got to fulfill that. So that was has always been in the back of my head. And you're how old when that happens? I was in Alaska when that happened, so I was start just starting out the corporate the corporate life. Uh, when that happened, so it wasn't like an instant thing. Like right. I, did, it was years later when I left the, the company. Uh, and your your mom also yeah, passed yeah. away. So the year, within a two year span, my mom died of cancer, and my brother died like a year a year and a half later. And in, and that's again your early twenties. You're the, in your early twenties. Yeah, it was actually the time I left Alaska, uh, or the time I moved to Alaska. So my mom had passed. I went to Alaska within about a year of my mother passing away. And so a little bit of Alaska in retrospect was me sort of like a little bit of an escape or like a new adventure, like something to focus on. Like it was was kind of a crazy thing to do um, for anyone, but it was, I'm sure it was a little bit related to the fact that she died. And I was like, our whole family's on tilt kind of thing. Like what the fuck, like what are we gonna do next kind of thing? So like, I'm gonna go to Alaska. You know, so I, that that always between my mom, that experience, my um, my brother, um, I've always thought about that kind of stuff. Uh, but w- so what happened though in the year the year that I was just an agent, not in manager, I was dabbling in it, uh, but I was like, I need to do this full time. But what I had also been doing is at a certain point, I wasn't planning on leaving the insurance business. But I had great credit and I had loans, so I racked up on the times when I wasn't working. I racked up some debt uh, on credit cards, and had um, I had a tax return, like a Canada Revenue thing, come in where I owed more tax than I expected uh, from from the business side of things. So I had a choice on what direction I was going to go. Like, am I going to go back to the insurance company and do this full time, or am I going to go into comedy and showbiz? And one option was go work really hard at the insurance company and pay down some of the credit card debt because I kind of lived for a little bit. I was like living on a little bit of credit card debt, living on some lines of credit. And what I decided to do, I was like the fastest point A to B. Like if I want to be in show business, this is what I'm going to do. I want to get here A to B. And so what I did is I declared bankruptcy. So I would walk away from the the credit card debt but it also meant i had to give up the triplex but in my head i was like i should let me simplify this kind of cut all cords to things that could complicate my life and take me away from stand up and i got that apartment trimmed back all my bills so i had like um i could so that i could live on like two grand a month and from the insurance company i had about a two grand a month um residual income so that that was the sort of like when I started with the insurance company, I never knew that I was going to get into stand-up and, and uh, acting. But um, I did know that you could. Part of the reason I worked at the insurance company was to get residual income. So you build up a book of business when people keep the policies as long as they're still paying and until they die, you get a, a paycheck. So when I left the insurance company, I simultaneously declared bankruptcy to absolve myself of debt and property and just kind of like. There's a clean way of that. Otherwise, I probably would have had to work for another year or two, pay that down. And I um, knew that I had the residual income from the insurance company. So I had about a two grand a month paycheck to float me. 
So I had my, my life's expenses paid for at that time. That wanes, so that has decreased. But in the meantime, now I make money from stand-up gigs and acting gigs. So that was kind of my like go-between so that I could quit cold turkey. Right. So I did like a life 180 kind of thing, which is a lot of people don't do that. Most people don't do that. I would suggest it. And people that do that, a lot of times people do it with no residual income. Right. Where they fail at it because they haven't thought it out like that or they didn't, they weren't right. or something like that. So they end up quitting their job. They go into comedy. They don't make enough. Then they quit that because they're like, well, I don't make enough. Right. 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 When really you did, you did the right thing, which is, okay, make sure I'm covered financially right. so I can really focus on this. And it doesn't matter right. if I don't make, if I right. make zero or I make a hundred grand, what it, was. it doesn't matter. It was about right? figuring out. It was, it was for me, it was, how can I do this for most of my time right now? Right. And I knew that I can't do it if I'm working 90 hours a week at an insurance company. And I, if I had more things, like when I had the triplex and a fancier car and all this, like, fancy suit lifestyle and fancy dinners and stuff. So I trimmed that all back. So I kind of had like the minimum, like I had my cell phone, my rent and cable. Like that was probably all I had. So I knew I didn't have to, to make too much. And I'm, I'm, I'm really curious because my grandma died, as you know, unexpectedly out of nowhere. And when that happened, there was a real shift in my mind of like, wow, life, life really is short. Like everything you want to do, you better fucking do it or you might not have time to do it. You know, how much of making that decision and going all in, how much of that, uh, was affected by your brother and your mom passing at such a young age? I think a decent chunk. It was more of an echo of that. Like it it wasn't like those happen because those deaths happened in 2002 and three. And I didn't really like, I didn't start stand up till 2009 and then full time I wasn't doing I moved to Toronto in 2012 so 2012 I was doing it full time full time um so yeah but it was always on my mind and it still is now I mean I would say I still like most people are chronically plagued with the thought that like we're way too slow with how we act on things like I have stuff that I'm just kind of doing now. Probably this podcast for you is something that's been an idea for like five fucking years. Oh yeah. But why didn't you start it before then? Like who knows? But there's still things right now. So I'm trying to speed up right now how quick I move from having an idea about something I want to do to just fucking doing it instead of it being something that bugs me. So I'm getting better at it. But to answer the question, it was like in it was part of it. Maybe seeing other people. I think that's a big part. Seeing other people go for their like dreams and what they want to go after. That's part of that's part of my motivation now in doing it. Like it used to be like, oh, I want to be in cool things and I want to be on stage and I want to get the credits and do, make money and be a celebrity and do all that stuff. And now it's like that's you know, some of that's okay, but that's kind of hollow. So now what like fires me up is I'll get messages from people like. Like, so happy you're doing so well. Like, love the example of following your dreams or, like, saw, your, saw the video about how you do this. Like, so proud of you. Like, you make me want to do this or that. Like, it's other people. It's, like, motivating other people to do the same thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. This yeah, is yeah, what it is we good. need to be. Um, for, no, for, and for real, like, I mean that. Like, that, that to me is, there's probably two things this is a you do it you want to make the um the audience like in front of you laugh and have a good time and remove their stress like for that one hour they're just having fun but then it's the second the other thing is like help people find their whatever their thing is and i know at the end of your shows you always do that like there you always get like a little um a little personal and talk about how like you love doing this and you followed your passion and you encourage people to do that. And I think that's like, like that's, it's almost more important, you know, way more important. Yeah. 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 I had a guy when we were in uh, moose jaw, Saskatchewan, this guy came up after a show and he had just lost his daughter, right? Like a young kid daughter. And, uh, and, uh, it wasn't even him actually. It was his friend who came up very emotionally and was like, I just want you to thank yeah, you. Yeah. You made my buddy laugh for the right. first time in, you know, six months, which is like, 
you know, at the time we were in the middle of a tour and you're out there for so long and you're like, you, right. You, you might have been thinking in your head, oh, fuck this fucking show or like, right. oh, man. And it wasn't a well attended yeah, yeah. show. Right. And right. We, I think I lost money on the show <laughs> doing it, traveling. Right? right. So all that's in my head. Right. And this guy comes up and immediately is like, oh, yeah, that's why we yeah, did yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. how much did you like any of those doubts or feelings of like, man, why am I doing this? Or like those kind of like when you're like shit gigs or you're on the road or like right. you're just like you're like, fuck, I could just get a corporate job right now and just like take a deep breath and not have to like grind and grind and gig and gig and gig and gig. But then you somebody says that and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm hooked. Right. My story for that is I was in. um it was in Kitchener, I think, and it was a show. Just it was, it was like a Wednesday night, Thursday night, like decent crowd, fifty people, good energy, and there was this lady in the crowd who was older, and sort of in the midst of crowd work, she kind of was dubbed like the queen mother or kind of thing, just because everyone else was young, and there's this silver-haired lady, but very prim and proper, kind of looking like like a queen. So she became part of my act a little bit, and at the end, her. Her, who I didn't know, her daughter comes up and she was like, oh, I wanted to thank you so much. We wanted to call her name, call her Betty, just for the sake of the story. But, but, but like um, Betty lost her, her my, my dad passed away three weeks ago after a long and hard battle with cancer. And this is the first time we take her out. And so thank you for these laughs. And I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, like, fuck. Like, yeah. It's crazy. And it just gives you again that like, oh, yeah, that's why we do yeah, this. Right? That's, that's what this is for. Yeah. This isn't about yeah. money. This isn't about how many credits we have. This isn't right. about what TV show I'm on. This is about like you literally gave right. that person like a moment or a even a several moments or an hour of like relief and, right. and joy that they haven't had for a while, which right. is just unbelievable um, but i don't know that i ever thought of that at the beginning like when you started early was no. any part of you that or i mean the no. only thing i could relate to that is when you're a kid and you probably have this because you because you were raised by your mom and grandmother but there's a little bit of like you make your family laugh in times of like stress or or sorrow or whatever like that like if you're probably at some point your mom was upset you would sense that and go crack a joke like, yeah so there's I a little bit my of that mom didn't like whatever she was doing during the day or she was really stressed right. when she got home and I would try to right. make her laugh. That was the first right. thing that was like, maybe I should try this. Right. You know? But probably when you started stand up is because you saw other comedians and you're like, Ooh, I want to be like them. And it and was a fun. little bit It just like, looked fun. Right. It was like, I can, I can do something right. that, is just fun and no and not get in trouble for it and you just eventually act out. So, yeah that's from that was what yeah. it was for me that was legit what it was for me because I, I the other way I was acting out I get drunk and disorderly citations and get like thrown in the drunk tank if if I didn't watch my step right which never happened but probably should have like the amount of times I was hooting and hollering in London right but but then you you get to do it on stage so for me it's like I get to act like a fool on on camera or on a stage and that's like that's crazy enough for me. And then, as you know, I'm kind of like, I'm, I would say I'm pretty chill in my regular life. We're just hanging out in regular life, walking through a mall. We're not like, no, we're not attracting attention to ourselves. We're pretty like calm and collected, you know? Uh, yeah. Typically. We're going to wrap things up here. So really quickly before we go, where can, uh, where can people find Lars Classington? Hit me up for sure on Instagram at uh, Lars Classington or uh, the studio that we're at. And my production company is at Laughing Vikings. Instagram stories is where I have the most fun. So if you just want to see what I'm doing on a daily basis and see like the mind of Lars, that's probably the best place. Facebook, uh, probably Instagram and Facebook. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. I Lars you. Classington. I love you, Jeff. Love you too, buddy. Huge, huge thank you to my buddy Lars Classington for joining me here today. And uh, thank you guys so much for joining me here today. I really do appreciate it. I, you have a choice. You had a choice. You had a choice of what you wanted to listen to or what you wanted to watch. And the fact that you took time out of your busy day. I assume it's busy. Maybe it's not. But who knows? But to take the time to, to listen or to watch this. We certainly appreciate it. I certainly appreciate it. And uh, we hope to see you again here next week. Thank you guys so much. Have a great week, everybody. Don't do anything fucking stupid. 
we got to have some sort of tagline at the end, you know? you got to sign off with something. So don't do anything fucking stupid makes sense, right? Don't be a bitch. Don't be a piece of shit. Hey, how about don't be a piece of shit? Ever thought of that?